Good morning. It's so good to be together. Uh, let's just give thanks. Lord, we do thank you for our salvation. Thank you for all that you did on the cross. But thank you too, Lord, that you're not dead. That indeed you are alive and we can know you personally. That you're here with us this morning and you have words to speak to us. So Lord, I pray that you'll give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, and feet to be obedient to you. Amen. Well, I've really enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed preparing for this morning's message this week. Um, And as usual, I love to start with a question to get our brains in the gear. And I want to throw up a question. I want you to talk to the person next to you and uh, share with them your response to this question. And it is, what is one thing God has shown you or done in your life that you think he wants you to pass on to others? Okay, go. I'll give you 60 seconds to discuss with the person next to you or behind you. Ten, nine, eight. Okay, is anyone bold enough to share what, what that one thing is? Hope. Faith. Love. Love. Forgiveness. Salvation. Way of salvation. Healer. There's nothing Jesus can't redeem. Amen. Never say never. Never say never. Always say forever. Always say forever. Anyone else? Put your trust in him. Yeah. I love it. I love all those answers. And uh, this morning... I'm going to interact a little bit with you guys. I don't want to do all the talking. But for me, when I thought about that question, um, for me, it's the power of God's word. I don't know about you, but last year was a crazy year, right? But not just last year. As I think back over my life, when uh, life tends to get a little bit cloudy or unclear, or when I'm doubting my identity, or when I feel... You know, what is my purpose? And I've lost my way a little bit. When I come back to the word of God and I spend time in his word, for me, the cloud lifts. Things get clearer. The days get brighter. Uh, There's meaning in my life and I see God's path again. So so for me, uh, one of my goals this year is to share what God has been teaching me in his word. 
and uh, to be able to help others understand God's word. That's, that's one of my goals this year. But talking about goals, um, let me ask you this question. What is God's goal for your life? Have you given this much thought? Uh, I, you know, I won't get your answer out loud, but when you think about God's goal for your life, how, how would you answer that? What would you respond? When it comes to God's goal for us, when we think about the church and the Christian life, um, most Christians would say salvation. God's goal is for us to know him personally and to be saved. And I would say absolutely yes. God's goal is our salvation. But that's not his end goal. Some Christians would say, well, not only to know him, our salvation, but it's to grow in him, learn how to forgive others, to overcome sin, to be generous with our time and resources, to grow in Christ, not just to know him, but to grow in him is God's goal for our life. And I would say, yeah, absolutely. But I would also say that's not his end goal for your life. So what's God's end goal? Uh, God's end goal for your life is that you would bring glory to his name and his name alone. We've sung about that this morning. When Tim finished his praying for community, he said, for your glory. God's end goal for our life is to bring glory to his name and his name alone. So how do we do that? Well, it's by when people are saved, glory comes to God, absolutely. And when people grow in Christ, glory to God, absolutely. But one of his huge goals for your life is to engage in his mission, to see all people of all nations, of all generations, ages, come to know him. Because the more people that know Christ, the more glory God receives. And scripture says that, you know, uh, his glory, he wants his glory to extend over all the earth. Well, that can only happen when people come to experience the presence and the pleasure of knowing God. And this is why our uh, series this week and uh, heading on, we've titled... A church on mission. A church on mission. You see, we, we would probably understand and most of us would know that uh, Jesus' death was to bring about our salvation, to make us right with our God, to pay for our sins, to take away the judgment on us. Um, we, we know what Jesus' death is about. But what about when it comes to... <laughs> Jesus' life and ministry. What was Jesus' life about? Thanks, Karen. I'll, I'll let you take over from now. What was Jesus' life and ministry about? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Well, we have two convictions that I want to talk about this morning. First of all, Jesus' life was about creating a movement of multiplying disciples. I wonder if you've given that much thought. When you think of Jesus' life and ministry, what observations do you have? What do you see Jesus doing? I want to hear from you now. When you read through the Gospels, what do you see Jesus doing in his life and ministry? 
Travelling around. What's he doing when he's travelling around? Preaching. Miracles. He's encouraging people. Raising up disciples. Bringing the kingdom of God. Yeah? Gathering. All these things Jesus is doing, right? And that's all true. We often view Jesus as the caring and compassionate person, the the prophet or a a teacher teaching. These are all true. Um, This is often how we view Jesus. And why did Jesus do what he did? Why did he go where he went? Why did he teach what he taught? We can fall into the trap of thinking that Jesus was a little haphazard and just did things as the day came. But in fact, it's clear that Jesus was intentionally living a life of complete obedience to his Father. I'll just throw this over to you if that's all right. It's not working. A life of complete obedience to the Father. Let's explore what we mean by this. Uh, Come with uh, me to Luke's Gospel. Uh, When you've got it, let me know you've got it. We're actually going to go to John's Gospel a fair bit, but uh, I want to start in Luke's Gospel. Luke chapter 2, who's got it? And and we see this obedience from Jesus really early on in his life. John chapter 2, they've been to the Passover His family's travelled home, realised Jesus isn't with them, so Mary and Joseph head back to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. They spend three days looking for him. They find him in the temple and Mary says to Joseph, look, why have you done this to us? We've been anxiously searching for us. And then Luke chapter 2 and verse 49, who's got it? Who wants to read out what verse 49 says out loud? Yeah, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? He didn't say I wanted to be there. He said I had to be in my father's house. He obviously wanted to be there too. But why did he have to be in his father's house? Could it be that he was um, responding in obedience to his father? Who's his father? Well, the heavenly father. Jesus, at this stage, at 12 years of age, understood who he was, coming to understand who he was, and he had to be in his father's house. Just a few verses later, in verse 52, we read that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. In the years to follow, the father is continuing to reveal to Jesus who he is, what his purpose was. He's building this passion in Jesus to go into ministry. A chapter later, in chapter 3 of Luke, we see Jesus' baptism take place. And in verse 23 of chapter 3, we read, Jesus began his ministry when he was about 30 years of age. These 30 years, what's going on? Well, the Father is preparing Jesus for ministry. He's growing in wisdom and in stature through these years. And then... uh, uh, we, we see that just before he launches into his ministry, the father sends him out to the wilderness for his final preparation period and he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. Did he succumb? No, he didn't. 
He resists the devil. He overcome the devil. He was obedient to his father. Here Jesus is becoming during these 30 years what the father wanted to multiply through him. And Jesus begins his ministry knowing his purpose and he's passionately obedient to it. Well, let's have a look what this looks like. Go to John's Gospel now. Throw over into John's Gospel. When you're there, let me know when you're there. John's Gospel number two, chapter two. Who else has got it? John's Gospel, chapter two. Here we see... Uh, Jesus has begun his ministry. His, uh, John's Gospel begins by Jesus calling his disciples. He doesn't talk much about his younger years. He's got a few disciples. He goes to a wedding in Cana. And at the wedding, they run out of wine. Mary comes to Joseph and says, look, they've run out of wine. And in chapter 2, verse 4, Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? If he stopped there, it'd sound pretty disrespectful. But then he says, my hour has not yet come. Jesus wasn't being disrespectful to his mother. He's saying, mum, the time hasn't yet come that the father wants me to reveal myself to the world. He was more concerned about his father's agenda than about his own prowess and popularity. Let's continue to read through John. John chapter 4. We see that uh, throughout John chapter 3 that he's gaining more disciples and he's starting to have some followers and he starts baptising them. John chapter 4, we read that um, he's actually baptising more disciples than John the Baptist, the big evangelist of the day. The Pharisees don't like Jesus' popularity and they start putting pressure on him. So he leaves Judea to go towards Galilee. And in in verse 4, what does it say? Someone read verse 4 for me of John chapter 4. He had to pass through Samaria. There it is again. I had to be in my father's house. I had to go through Samaria. Now, if you know the, uh, the Jewish and Samaritans' interactions, they hated one another. And the Jews, when they travelled north, would go around Samaria and avoid it like the plague. But Jesus, leaving Judea, going to Galilee, he had to go through Samaria. Why? Was there a landslide on the other road? I don't think so. He had, could it be that the father said, son, I want you to go through Samaria? I think so, because when he sits down by the well and he's, and he's tired and he's worn out from a day's journey, his disciples go into town to get food, don't they? And who comes out to meet him? This Samaritan woman sits down. They have this awesome encounter. She understands who he is, runs back into town. His disciples bought food, got lunch for him, and come back and say, hey, Jesus, we've got lunch. Have something to eat. And he says, you know what? I'm not hungry. And they're scratching their head thinking, who fed Jesus? And Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 34, these words. Who's got it? My food, verse 34, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus saying, my food, what energises me, what satisfies me is to do the will of my father. And he's making it clear here that he's got work to do. 
He's got a job that the Father has given him. He, he says, this job, it, it brings me satisfaction and joy. It, it, it completes me. Do you have that same type of satisfaction and joy in life? Or is your life a bit dry? You can, if you seek God's will, and if you're pursuing the work he has assigned for you. In chapter 5, let's quickly go over to chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus answers them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. Jesus is making it clear, even my teaching comes from God. He's being obedient to the Father there. He says in, sorry, that's chapter, chapter 7, that one. Uh, chapter 5, sorry, chapter 5, verse 30, he said, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There it is again. I'm pursuing the will of the Father. Chapter 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to the will of him who sent me. Then in chapter 7, verse 16, My teaching is not mine, but the will of his who sent me. You can really begin to see how Jesus is all about seeking God's will, doing his tasks, accomplishing his work. It's about the Father's agenda. Chapter 8, again in John. We read, I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Check it out. Verse 28 and 29 of chapter 8. He says, I always seek to do what the Father wants me to do. And because of that, he's always with me because I seek to do what's pleasing to him. Do you sense God's presence in your life? You will if you seek to do what he wants you to do. You will if you seek after the things that matter to him, his agenda. We can keep going through every chapter of John and we can see Jesus always referring to himself, I seek the Father's will, I'm about his agenda, I'm doing his work. It's a beautiful picture to see. The Father is always with me, Jesus says, because I always seek the things that are pleasing to him. And it's the same for us today. John 14, verse 31. John 14, verse 31. Jesus says, I do as the Father commanded me. Why? Listen to this. So that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus willingly obeyed the Father because he had a deep sense of love for him. Do we struggle in our obedience to the Father? Maybe we need to look at how much we love him. We appreciate him. Jesus says, I always do because I want the world to know how much I love the Father. Do we, do we ever see Jesus disobeying the Father? <laughs> we don't, do we? We never read of it. When he said, go out into the wilderness, he didn't say, oh, but Father, it's hot out there. It's dusty. You know, it's uncomfortable in the caves. No, he goes. When he says, go through Samaria, does he say, yeah, but those people are a little bit weird. They're a little bit awkward. I don't know what to say. What do I do when I get there? He doesn't grumble and complain. He goes and he's obedient to his father. We never see Jesus disobeying the father or living out his own agenda. 
It's always about the father. His whole life was lived with his father agenda in mind. His genuine love for his father empowered obedience. And this is why when his time on earth was coming to a close, he could confidently approach the father in prayer. In John 17, we read this beautiful prayer before he goes to the cross. He's just spent his last night with his disciples, teaching them, washing their feet, having the last supper. And he comes to the Father in prayer and he says this. We read in John 17 verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words to his disciples, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Come, Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent. And now listen to these words in verse 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He's saying, I've brought you glory, completing the word, accomplishing the word, the work that you've given me to do. Now, Jesus hasn't yet gone to the cross. So what was the work that the Father had given him to do? On the cross, he would say, it is finished. And that means our sins are paid once and for all. But before he goes to the cross, he says, Father, I've brought you glory I've completed the task, the job, the work that you've given me to do. What was that work? Well, it was making disciples, right? Disciples who would make disciples, who would make disciples, who would then go on to make disciples and multiply across the world. This is the work that Jesus is talking about here. It's the work that brought him pleasure My food is to do the work, accomplish the work my father has sent me to do. At the beginning of his ministry, he made that clear. At the end of his ministry, he says, I've brought you glory. And it's the same for us today. We bring glory to God when we are about his work. (laughs) The father's The Father's work for Jesus was to make disciples who would multiply. It's the same work he has for us today. And that is why we see Jesus intentionally living a life, investing in a few. That's my next point. He lived a life of complete obedience to the Father. But he spent a life investing in a few. When we think of Jesus' ministry years, we often think of the preaching on the mountainside to the, to the crowds and, and healing the multitudes and in the synagogues talking to the, the big crowds, the masses. But do you know that when we read through the Gospels, 17 times he's with the masses and 46 times we see him with a few, his disciples. That's almost triple the amount of time with the masses he spends with a few. Why is that? What does that tell you? Why do you think that's important? Have a guess. Mentoring. Mentoring. So the few can reach the masses. 
Yeah. Jesus knew that his time on this earth was limited. He knew where he was headed towards the cross for salvation for all mankind. In his humanness, his reach was limited. Right? He knew that he had to invest in a few to complete and continue the work of God throughout to the ends of the earth. Jesus didn't have modern communication tools like internet and like we have today. He didn't have the modern technologies of travel. He knew he had to invest in a few for them to take the message out into all nations. That's why we're sitting here today. Because Jesus did a brilliant job of that, didn't he? He knew his time was limited and he intentionally invested in a few. The task of seeing God's glory cover the whole earth was still at hand when Jesus went to the cross. The work of creating a movement of multiplying disciples that would stretch across all nations and all generations, across all the earth, was why Jesus spent so much time with a few. John 14, verse 12. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus said, You can do what I can do. But he said, In fact, you'll do greater works than this. Jesus had three and a half ish years. By his grace, we'll have 10, 20, 50 years to do the work of God. We have technologies nowadays which weren't around then. (laughs) You know, we can serve the farthest reaches of the globe. We can get on a plane, well, probably not during COVID, to go anywhere in the world. Some uh, Bible websites, they reach more people every week than the whole Roman Empire of the first century. Jesus is saying, you will do far greater than I can ever do in my humanness. That should encourage us, should motivate us. Is this your heartbeat? Do you share the same vision that Jesus had for his father's agenda? We should. Jesus invested in a few to build a movement of multiplying disciples. How would you describe Jesus' disciples when you read through the Gospels? I was thinking through this. They were bold, they were courageous. They made mistakes, but they got back up again. They they were passionate about uh, bringing glory to Jesus' name. They denied themselves and took up their cross. They would go anywhere, do anything. They would give their life, and they did. And as I think about that, if that's the life Jesus calls his disciples to, does that describe me? When people look at me, do they see someone willing to go anywhere, anytime, at any cost? Do they see you as that? Do they see us as a church, lovingly, passionately pursuing God's agenda, willing to do anything for the sake of a few? Can we call ourselves disciples of Jesus if we can't describe ourselves that way? We too need to be obedient to the Father's agenda. 
We need to be investing in a few. Which brings me to my second conviction. Jesus sent us just as he sent, just as he was sent, to do what he did and follow his example. And we've spoken a lot about this at Raymond Terrace, uh, living out a sent life. Uh, He hasn't just sent us to be a good neighbour. He hasn't just sent us to be good friends with people. He sent us as his witness into every circumstance, into every encounter with every person, every day of our life. You are sent. I am sent by God into this world. Why? To make disciples, just as he was sent to make disciples. This is the will of Jesus for you that you join him in his mission. This is his prayer for you. In John 17, he prays to the Father. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, Jesus prays. He's saying, Father, I was sent, I've carried out your work. I've sent them, be with them. This was so central to Jesus' life And this was such a focus for him that his first words to them when he rose from the dead was, peace be with you. But then we read, as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. My purpose is your purpose, Jesus says. Remember his first words when he rose from the dead. He spent time with them. He appeared to many. But then before he ascended into heaven, his last words to them to us all were very similar. Matthew 28, we read, All authority has been given to me. Therefore, what? Go, make disciples. Where? Of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to what? Obey all that I've commanded you. And what's going to happen? I will be with you. When you go about my work, when you pursue my will, I will be with you. (laughs) How awesome is that? And it's all glory to God. Well, just as Jesus had to become what the Father wanted to multiply through him, so do you. You might be sitting here saying, but I, I can't make disciples. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Or you might be thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. I'm not worthy enough. Well, just as Jesus himself was prepared by the Father, he had to become what the Father wanted to multiply through him, It's the same for us today. And this is my landing point. If you want to become a multiplying disciple, you must become what you want to multiply. You must become obedient to the will of Jesus, just as Jesus was obedient to the Father. You must learn to live a life of sentness every day. You need to learn this way of life. You must allow God to teach and to train you from his word as you spend time with him each day, just as Jesus spent time in the scriptures and in prayer with his 
Father. You need to be doing that as well. We as a church need to become what God wants to multiply through us. And that's what the next few weeks is all about. How do we make disciples? How do we mature as a disciple? Disciple. <laughs> How do we become multiplying disciples? That's what our next few weeks is about. And I'm so, uh, so looking forward to the journey. Let's pray. As we bow our heads, I want to give you a moment just to respond to God yourself. Has he been challenging you on your obedience? Or your life focus? Or investing in a few? And you're sentless. Respond to God personally now. Lord, we do thank you for our salvation. Lord, we thank you that we can know you personally because you are alive and interested in our life. Lord, we thank you for your patience as we grow in you. But Lord, I I ask that you would give us a real vision of what you want to do in our lives. Investing in a few who don't know you. Investing in a few who do know you and want to grow in you. Lord, help us to become what you want to multiply. Give us a passion, a deep-seated passion to pursue your glory. To obediently follow your ways your commands. And Lord, to dream that you would take us places you've never, we've never even thought or dreamt or dreamed of. Lord, we know people who are far from you, who need you. We know people who are resisting you, Lord, who need you. And Lord, we hear your call today that you are sending us. So Lord, help us. Help us to love you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Help us to walk closely with you so the world may see our love for you and be drawn to you. Lord, help us to intentionally live each day as you did, sowing into the lives of others, giving of ourselves, sacrificing ourselves so that your glory may extend to the ends of the earth. 
We ask this in Jesus' name.